from this. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Let's pray and then uh, we'll get into this. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you for the privilege that it is to be here. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we need you. God, I, I realize how badly I need you. And I'm asking you tonight to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd help me to bring out these things that I've studied. And I pray that you'd uh, help us to get out of this, uh, this passage what it is we need. Help us to understand our doctrine. I pray you get a hold of the hearts of your people. Give us a love for the truth. And I pray you continue to do uh, great things in us and through us, Father. Help us to reach souls. Help those that we have been reaching to grow spiritually. And uh, Father, just bless us, we ask. We ask you to please work out the details uh, with the construction project. I pray that you would uh, help that stuff to turn out, Lord, in such a way that we get the job done, if it be your will. And uh, it did not cost us too much, but we understand that you're God and you got it all figured out. So we're trusting you with it. Bless us tonight. Now we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, notice, first of all, verse number one, what advantage then hath the Jew? or What profit is there of circumcision? So don't forget leading up to this that there's been two different sides that has been looked at. It's the guilt of the Gentiles without the law and the guilt of the Jew under the law. And we showed you how God really works to bring truth to everybody, whether they have truth or don't have truth. And interestingly enough, when you start into chapter 3, he says, then what advantage hath, then hath the Jew? So it's like, well, if the Gentiles without the law are a law unto themselves, what, what good is it then to really have truth? What good is it then to really have the law? And look at the answer to that. Or what profit is there a circumcision? Here's the answer to it. Much every way. You realize that if you have the truth, you have a tremendous amount of profit over people that don't? I think of the spiritual application to this is like you and I being in a Bible-believing church. Listen, young people, if you've been raised in church, well, no matter what your age is, some of us that aren't so young anymore... Uh, raised in church, you know what a benefit that is to your life in every single way? I'm so tired of listening to saved people, second, third generation Christians, complain, complain, complain about everything the generation before them did that was wrong. Every way they were hurt in church. You know, I mean, do you realize what a benefit it has been to have been raised in church? Yes, people are sinners. Yes, bad things happen. If you want to focus on the negative, you can go ahead and be a rebellious, frustrated individual, and you can be a bitter person, and you can be miserable, and you can sit around licking your wounds the rest of your life and focusing on all the bad. But isn't it a blessing to have been given the truth from the time you were a child? Aren't you glad you sang some Sunday school songs? Aren't you glad you knew a little bit of something about Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad you knew a little bit of Bible? That's a tremendous benefit to your life in every way. We ought to be thankful for that. So the Jews really did have a tremendous advantage over the Gentiles because of what? Because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Look at Luke chapter 12. Keep your finger here in Romans. We're coming back in a minute. Look at Luke chapter 12. You realize if you got the Bible, you got everything, man. I mean, you got everything. I, this book, it, it, I don't even know how to put it into words sometimes. It's a lamp under my feet. It's a light under my path. It's a shield. It's a buckler. It's a comfort. It's a teacher. I mean, what is your Bible? It's bread. It's milk. It's honey. I mean, it's a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. I mean, the Bible is, you know how much the Bible means to you? It ought to mean to you. You look at a sad generation that's lost their faith in the Word of God. Sad generation that doesn't know their Bible. I was listening to a, to a pretty high level, if you want to call it that, um, professor. And he actually is, he's actually decent. The reason I listen to him is he's decent on the mechanics of expository preaching. Like he, he's big time pushes expository preaching. He's wrote some books on expository preaching and, and uh, you know, the famine in the land really all over the country of expository Bible preaching. And he's, he's good on that. So I like some of the mechanics of what he teaches and I'm, I'm reading some of what he says and I'm listening to some of his talks and all that stuff. And man, you know what broke my heart? Here is this guy training preachers, training young preachers, and he doesn't believe the Bible that's sitting in front of him. He takes him to Luke chapter 16 and tells him that the, 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 the rich man in hell and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom is a parable. 
And then he starts telling them Abraham's bosom is not an actual place, but it's an allegory for heaven and all the rest of this stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, man. These, you're talking that you're training preachers to preach. And you don't even believe the Bible in front of you. And you're messing that thing up so bad. Those people aren't even going to be able to figure out the Bible they got. They're going to lose their faith in the book if they got, if they got any IQ at all. And they read their Bible and study it all. They're going to lose their faith in that Bible sooner or later. Because what you're saying doesn't make sense. And it boils down to not believing the book. In Luke chapter 12, notice this. Look at verse 48. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole context here. This thing is, is a, a pretty heavy passage. But notice what he says in verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Do you see that? And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. Back to Romans chapter 3. That's a scary thought, isn't it? When God's given you a lot of truth, then God requires something of you. Now, that's a blessing if you really love truth. I mean, the more truth you get, God's giving you truth. It just, I don't know how to even put it into words. It's, it's more important than the breath in my lungs. To be able to have my, my view of my life and my understanding of God and my view of my Bible and my view of myself properly focused by the words of God is absolutely priceless. But that also means that God expects me to do something with what I've learned. So the Jews had a tremendous advantage. Why? Because they had been given the oracles of God. Verse 3, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? That's a great verse. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit knows the way people think. I had somebody ask me this many years ago. He said, well, what about the billions of people that believe in Islam? They believe what they believe just as much as you believe what you believe. I said, okay, so? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand your point here. Well, I mean, how do we know we got the truth? Listen, if 8 billion people believe a lie, does that change it to the truth? For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? It doesn't matter if you believe or not. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or don't believe it. That's beside the point. It's beside the point if those... Uh, 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 heathen in the Amazonian jungles that don't know the truth and never read a Bible in their life. It's beside the point. If they push away the truth that they've been given, that's the issue. But you have to understand when you read Luke chapter 12 that God knows how to judge righteously. So to whom much is given, much will be required. But those of us sitting in the United States of America that drive by churches when we go run up to Kroger, you see a church all the time. You see Christ the King this and Holy Ghost that and Bible this and church that. You, there's a tremendous amount of light been given to you as a nation. Not to even get more specific and boil it down to us Bible-believing Christians who are born again, who God has led to what we understand to be the truth. I mean, look at the way we're digging in. We're digging in and we're going verse by verse through the Bible. And even when we're preaching, we're dissecting that passage and showing you the points of the message out of that passage. The amount of Bible that you're getting, the amount of light that you're giving, you have a tremendous advantage. And if you run across something you don't believe or you don't agree with it, that is absolutely beside the point. I don't like the statement and I'm not picking at you. If one of you has this on your car or a hat or something, I have not seen it and so I'm not picking at you. All right? I, inevitably, I say something like this, and then somebody's like peeling out of the parking lot trying to scrape it off the back of their car or something, you know, freaking out. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I got a problem with that statement. You and God, me and God, we ain't equal. God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Verse 4 God forbid, watch this. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Seriously? Folks, let's look at some verses on man being a liar. Go back to the book of Psalms. Keep your finger in Romans because we'll come back in a couple of minutes here. Look at the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter number 53. 
uh, 58, excuse me, 58 verse 3. I'm going to show you what God thinks of lying. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. You mean before you can speak, you lie? <laughs> Thank God for an old preacher that taught me and my wife some stuff. Because we wouldn't have been able to put this together on our own, just so you know. It's, this stuff comes from God. We learn pretty quick that little babies, little infants lie to you. Now, I've used it as an illustration, and I got everybody laughing, and, and it's, a funny, it's a funny joke, and it really is funny. It, it's hilarious. So you put them down in that crib, and you fed them, and you burped them, and you changed their diaper, and everything is perfect. You set the crib up just right, and you lay them in there, and you walk out and shut the door, and they go, all right? And Mama's like, back in that room real quick, you know? I mean, I was that way maybe a little with the first one or two, and then after a little while, you're like, they survive. It's amazing what they make it through. She, she got on first name uh, basis with poison control because Anna had a thing for spraying, like, Lysol and all kinds of stuff in her face. You know what I mean? It was it was terrible. Bleach. <laughs> She's calling me. She did again. First couple times you see one of them licking the toilet bowl. You know you're like, oh, you're gonna die. And after a while you're like, Pfft. they make it through everything. They're fine. Don't worry about it. Right. Well, we figured out quick that they lie. Because you pick up that little baby that's screaming and all of a sudden the baby's fine. Well, you were just acting like your stomach was bothering you. You were acting like something was wrong. You were acting like you were hungry. They scream the exact same way when something's really bothering you. When you got a bad diaper rash or something like that. And now all of a sudden you're, you're perfect. Lay them back down they start again. You know what they're doing? They're pre they, so listen, this is the thing. They trained you. You're off to a bad start, man. They trained you. You know what older, older preacher taught us? You trained them. So you go back in and you check the diaper and you make sure everything's all right. And then you lay the baby down, you shut the door, and you let them scream. Why? Because it's time to go to bed. Shh. Now listen, I know some nutty people that listen to a preacher or, or had, maybe they're just on crack. I don't know. But go in there and swat a baby for lying. An infant. You lost your mind, man. That's an infant. That infant doesn't understand. What you're doing is you're programming that kid to not stink and lie to you. Right from the beginning. When you're lying, it gets you nowhere. I did say you go back in and check, right? You make sure everything's okay, and then you let them scream it out. Why? Because right out of the gate, you're teaching them that when they lie, it doesn't get them ahead. And then as they get older, that thing progresses, but I'll spare you the gory details. The Bible shows you that you and I come forth from the womb speaking lies. It's in your nature to lie. We Americans are bad about it. And, and to an extent, I'm not sure it's all that wrong. <laughs> no, just listen to what I'm saying. How you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you? <laughs> okay, that's just manners. You know, it's like what you shake somebody's hand, it means I don't have a weapon in my hand. You know, like, yeah, hi, we're good, we're good, but, you know, right? It's manners. Please don't be like, how are you? Well, you really want to know? I'm like, People will run from you. You understand what I'm saying? But just get it that we naturally and instinctively in our nature, we lie. Look at something else. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 62. You got to understand this about men around you. Especially when it comes to the things of God. That's what just burdens my heart more and more as time goes on. When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to your doctrine, when it comes to your Bible, man, you, don't, you can tune into anything you want nowadays online. I think that thing is done. I, I, listen, I realize some good has come out of it. Do you understand that? I know that we're on the Internet and all that stuff. I know that. And, and some good does come out of it. But I'd say if you did a poll around the world, you'd find out a whole lot more bad than goods come out of it. You can tune into just about anything. And how do you know that man's not a liar? Right. Psalm 62, 9. 
Surely men of low degree are vanity. Well, that's true. That's harsh, isn't it? But I'm talking about a low life. What, what's the point? What's the point of a guy that gets birthed into this world, lives his entire life for himself, accomplishes nothing, and then dies and goes to hell? What was the point? And men of high degree <laughs> are a lie. Bro, that's brutal. Sorry, you're not all bros. Folks, that's brutal. Why? You strutting around in a $1,000 suit thinking that you're not the same as everybody else. And you are. You get into some of the work world and some of the corporate world and you find out some of those people ain't any better than the, than the people on the streets downtown that are broadcasting what they're about. It's a shocking thing. They're a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. How about that? Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I tried it this week. I said to a guy I met, I said, uh, uh, we were talking, I said, how tall are you, 5'7"? He said, yeah. <laughs> I, I already knew how tall he was. I'm looking him eye to eye. I like you not. You are not a, you are not a half inch taller than me. If anything, you're a half inch shorter than me. So how tall are you? Five seven? <laughs> I should have said five ten. He just said, yeah. <laughs> Versus <laughs> verse 17, Proverbs 6, 17. That was terrible. I shouldn't have died. I set him up. The poor guy, I set him up so bad. I didn't call him out, though. I was nice. Look what God hates. Verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now wait a second. Look at the lineup. You got a proud look. Then you got a lying tongue. Then you got hands that shed innocent blood. You think that's pretty bad? You kill somebody that doesn't deserve it. That's pretty, that's pretty rotten sin, ain't it? And then you got a, a heart devising wicked imaginations. Just evil in their thoughts and hearts. and what. The, that's a pretty bad thing. That's a, that's a nasty, low-level, low-life, filthy individual. And then feet swift and running to mischief. And then a false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Somebody trying to split a church, trying to cause trouble between brothers. You know what shows up twice? It's things God hates. <laughs> you and I wouldn't look at a liar the same way we'd look at a murderer, would we? I mean, would you as a human being look at a liar like you look at a murderer? But God does. God hate these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. I mean, we'll preach on abomination all the time, LGBTQ, and we're preaching against all that stuff all the time. You'd preach against, you'd say, yeah, that stuff is sinful, that stuff is wrong. In the eyes of God, all that's an abomination. But will you lie? I know Christians that'll boldface lie right to your face while they know they're lying. God hates us, and then you wonder why you can't get a prayer through. You wonder why you're praying, 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 and, and you think that God's, and God ain't hearing you. God will fellowship with a man who has sin in his nature, but God will not fellowship with a man who has sin in his heart. God hates lying. Uh, look at Proverbs 19.5. A false witness shall not be unpunished. That's scary. And he that speaketh lies 
shall not escape. That's a promise from God. He said, if you lie, eventually it will catch you. You are not going to escape it. So, I mean, the best thing to do, mom and dad walk up and say, hey, what were you listening to on, on your phone? Uh, you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision right now. Am I going to tell them I was listening to something I shouldn't be listening to, or am I going to lie and start making up a story to get out of it? My old man taught me, if you steal a car and the cops pull you over and he looks you in the face and says, did you steal this car? You look him in the face and say, yes, sir, I stole it. Oh, what an example. What, what kind of what? What? <laughs> yeah, that one stuck with me. My dad was think, looking at it and putting it in my head that it was a bigger deal that I lied than that I stole a car. <laughs> I'm like, really? I mean, the context of these two, I'm not saying it's okay to steal a car. You understand that? That's, that's grand larceny, okay? That's not a small deal. But the point my dad was making was actually a very scriptural and very good point. He's saying you be a man of character. If you mess up, fess up. Accept the guilt of what you did and don't lie your way out of it because you will get caught. Now, there's ways to catch people, but I'm not going to tell you. No, there's ways to tell when somebody's lying to you. And you'll be sad to find out most human beings do it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. What I can't stand is when people take passages like this and then they use it as an excuse to, uh, to lie. Well, all men are liars. That might be a perversion of what that thing's saying, huh? Yeah, I lied. All men are liars. <laughs> all right. Whatever, man. That, that's on you. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see verse 25. Look what God says. Wherefore, putting away what? What's that in the context of? In context, in verse 24, that ye put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Well, how about that? True holiness doesn't mean you walk around dressed special so you stand out from everybody else, like a Muslim or like a nun or like a lot of religions will do. True holiness is you don't lie. You quit being a cotton-picking liar. I figured it out early, and thank God for a dad that, that did this for me, and I'm just, no, I'm trying to throw it out there, maybe help some of you men with your sons. I was thankful for a dad that did this for me. He, he got it in my head that if I got to him first and told him the truth, it was always better than if I hit it and got caught, and that if I hit it and got caught and I fessed up and accepted it right out the gate, it was always better than if I hit it, got caught, tried to lie my way out of it. I was, I'm thankful for that. That burned down into my soul good. I mean, he doubled it up, boy. If it wasn't doubled, it was triple for adding a lie to it. He made that a bigger deal than messing up. Because what that, what that put in me is an understanding that we all mess up, don't we? Come on, we all mess up, don't we? He knew I'd mess up. What he didn't want to see is character in me that would try to lie my way out of it when I messed up. And man, that's hard to do. Because it, it, it's, it really is hard to do. It's so easy to be like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> and then your mind starts working. Those gears start turning and you start, not, I won't tell you, but you, know, you start showing signs that you're lying. <laughs> right? Because you're trying to, trying to get that story together as quick as you can. Well, one thing's a mess up. The other thing's a character flaw. Go to Revelation 21. We're almost done on this subject, and, and, and then we can all breathe because I know this is uncomfortable. Revelation 21, look at verse 8. This is a powerful verse. Now I want you to see the lineup again. Because you and I grade sins the way our human nature grades them, right? We'd say, we'd say oh, it's just a little white lie, right? Well, I don't know where you found that in the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers 
and sorcerers and idolaters and all. Wow. Which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's brutal. Why does God hate lying so much? I mean, why does he put it up there on a level of sorcery and murder and whoremongering and all the rest of that stuff? Go to uh, John chapter 8, and then we'll get back to Romans. John chapter 8, look at verse 44. John 8, 44. Year of your father, the devil. This is Jesus talking, huh? They, they, always, they always make this fake Jesus in religion. Year of your father, the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. That's why I tell you the most important thing is for you to fall in love with the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. Your walk with Christ. Do you love truth? You've got to get a love for truth. You've got to want that Bible. That ought, to be, that ought to be everything to you is what does the book say? I need my Bible. Be, why? Well, it, it, it's the antithesis of the devil. <laughs> There's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Oh, maybe that now makes sense why God hates lying. Why it's an unholy thing for you and I as Christians to lie. Well, if somebody asks me a question and I don't want to answer it, then look them in the face and say, that's none of your business. I don't want to answer. Right? That's an honest truth. But I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to look at you and say, don't ask me. I'm not telling you. Why? Because I don't want to tell you. <laughs> right? But don't lie. Back to Romans chapter 3. So what you and I got to realize and what we got to understand is that God is the one that's true, but every man a liar. Now watch this. I find this really interesting the way God set this up. And he, I think he did it on purpose to get into your, your mind, to get into your heart, and to set you up to help you to understand something as it is written. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. You get the point? The point is, the truth of God is right there. If a man ever gets up and corrects the Bible, if a man ever tells you, well, that's an unfortunate rendering, well, that could be translated, well, what that actually means is, well, well yeah, but in the originals, that, the, that man's lying. Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. What you and I need to have our faith in is this book. you got to understand that. Men will give you all kinds of promises about Jesus. They'll tell you all kinds of stuff about God would never. Literally, I, I cannot get it out of my head. When, when I was talking to an individual that should have known better, and the person looked at me and said, well, my God would never. And I said, like, Okay, first of all, where is that in the Bible? Well, brother, so-and-so told me, and just the way I feel, and I heard a preacher preach and say, I'm like, okay. secondly, I didn't know you owned a God. That's super cool. I mean, that's great. I mean, did you, did you burn half of them, and the rest of them you carved into what you're praying to? I mean, do you understand who God is? My God would never. You ought to have your base of God, your view of God, your view of right and wrong, your view of sin and what God expects and doesn't expect ought to be based on that book and your view of the preacher and of church ought to be based off of as it is written. I'm, I'm telling you, what I'm doing is I'm ruining you, okay? I'm sorry. Here's how I'm ruining Let me put that in context now. Here's how I'm ruining you. Once you've been in a church that preaches and believes the Bible without compromise and shows you the truth of it, doesn't apologize for it, just gives you the truth, you can't go anywhere anymore. You're stuck. I'm telling you. Because then you'll go sit in some of these churches and you're like, well, I think the spirit's better and I think the music is better and I really like the programs and everybody's so sweet. And then you're going to sit there like, 
Where do you get that? And how come we never opened a Bible? And you're going to open your Bible to get out your phone and be like, because I can't see my Bible. Like, that's not what that actually says. And that's what I'm trying to do to you. I want you to get addicted to the truth, and I want you to have your faith in God strengthened, and I want your faith in God's word strengthened, and I want you to know this book so you know what you believe, so you can pass it on to the next generation, so that you can become what God wants you to become, so that when you stand before God to answer for him, you got a good answer. Notice, look back at it in verse 4, that thou mayest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Really? You mean I'm going to be judged? I was thinking about it this week. Man, what a, what a, what a scary responsibility I have. Because I get, I get paid to study my Bible, and the point of that is to get up and talk. I get paid to answer my phone and talk. <laughs> you know how much of my life is talking and writing and writing and talking? That's a scary thing. You understand that? Because every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I'm going to have to stand before God one day and answer. Now, how am I going to do that as much as I talk? I better really be in it. I better really know it. I better make sure I've studied it out. I better make sure I'm not misrepresenting it. I better make sure that what I'm saying is guided and directed by it and I understand it and I believe it and I got my faith in it and that anything I say that's wrong, I repent of as quick as I can and when I figure out I'm wrong, I'm humble enough to make it right. If I got up, if I, if I, if I realized I've been preaching something that went against the book, I'd get up and tell you publicly, I'm sorry. I've been saying this, but that's wrong. Let me show you why that's wrong and let God be true, but every man a liar, your preacher included. You realize that the judgment, I do believe men are going to try to accuse God. You go look at Job and that story and how that thing interacts. I think at the great white throne judgment, when the lost men stand there, they're going to do everything they can to point their finger at God and accuse Him. And listen, they're not going to be able to do it from this. You and I need to get to know this. So that when God asked us <clears throat> some questions at the judgment, we got a good answer. Verse 5, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous, who taketh vengeance, I speak as a man? God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath abounded through my lie unto his glory, why am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Now, let me explain this to you. That's pretty confusing, right? <laughs> Just a little bit. What this thing is telling you is that some people were lying about the Apostle Paul. They were looking at him and saying, well, since you're saying you're not under the law anymore, and you're throwing the law away and all that stuff, then you're, you're, like, you're saying let us do evil that good may come. You don't have to keep the law and that makes you look spiritual. So they're making false accusations. If you look at this in verse 8, as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. So there's people slandering the Apostle Paul and trying to throw him under the bus and other people are saying, yeah, that's what he's teaching, that's what he's saying. And Paul's saying, we're not saying anything like they say we're saying. Here's how this thing plays out in modern day. The Calvinists, now understand this, and we'll get into this a little deeper later on. But for those of you that don't know, you need to get a hold of this. Calvinists are people that take the, the um, um, sovereignty of God, God's sovereign, and they take it so far as to say that God is responsible for absolutely everything. Okay? That means that if you've been elected, then you will get saved whether you want to or not. You'll come to a point in your life where you'll fall under what's called irresistible grace. Okay? And the grace of God overfloods you to a point where you trust Jesus as your Savior. 
And if you're not elected, no matter what you do, you can't get saved. You could come down here and scream and cry and weep and wail and beg God, but there is no forgiveness for you if you're not one of the elect. The Calvinists say that God is responsible for everything because God is omnipotent, God is sovereign. My wife used to work with some. And it drove her crazy because everything that happened, like if she broke a nail, it's like, oh, they're like, well, God's sovereign. Like, God broke your nail, so don't complain. Like, so super spiritual that it becomes like foolishness, right? How are you doing? You can't say I'm having a bad day, not feeling good, because it's like God did this, so who am I to complain against God? Because God does everything. And they use passages like this, and like a passage in the Old Testament where God says, I create good and evil. They say, see, God created evil. Well, wait a minute. Have you defined the word evil from a Bible? Don't you know that when you define the word evil, you run it through your Bible? It doesn't always have to do with some kind of devious sin or satanic sin. Like, did you have a good day today? Yes. Okay, then you didn't have an evil day. Did you have a bad day? Well, the car broke down, got fired, found out I have cancer. You know, then a two-by-four fell on my head, split my skull open. Okay, that was a very evil day. Right? So God does create evil. Let me ask you a question. When fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, was that a good day? That was an evil day. God created that evil. Does that make sense? But the Calvinists will grab one or two verses like that or a verse like this, pull it out of context, and then they're shifting the blame to God saying, well, look, you know, if you do unrighteous, it gives glory to God. Unrighteous deeds glorify the Lord anyways because God gets glory out of your life one way or the other. God gets glory out of casting people into hell. God gets glory out of saving people. That's not what the text is teaching here from a Calvinist standpoint. It's a misrepresentation of what's being taught. What Paul is doing is he's defending himself. He says, but if our unrighteousness, okay, so guess what? When you break the law, what does it do? It commends the righteousness of God. Right? Our unrighteousness, when we see what sinners we are, it shows who God is. In other words, look at me, I'm a mess. Look at him. He's perfect. My unrighteousness commends you to the righteousness of God. It's very easy for me as a preacher to point you to the Bible and say, not me, I'm not the answer. I'm not the authority. If I go against the book, I'm wrong and the book is right because even when I'm wrong, I can encourage you in your faith in God by saying, I'm wrong, but that book was right. I had it off. Let me show you from the book. Is that making sense to you at all? So our unrighteousness does commend the righteousness of God because it shows people who God actually is. It's not you and it's not me. All right, so what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Now now look what he says in the I speak as a man. So he's wanting you to understand. He's trying to help us view this from a human standpoint. If the Calvinists believe that God creates evil, that God allows some people to be saved and some people not to be saved, how could God righteously judge the lost if they didn't have a choice? That's what Paul is teaching. Does that make sense to you? How can God, if God made me do it, then why would God judge me for it? That doesn't make any sense at all. He says, God forbid, in verse 6. For then how shall God judge the world? He wouldn't. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why am I also yet judged as a sinner? Why am I also judged as a sinner? So he's saying, if, if I'm lying, and that's what God wants me to do, and it's abounding to God's glory, why would I be judged for lying? That doesn't make any sense. And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So what he's saying there is if you're one of these, the end justifies the means. Well, yeah, I lied, but it was for a good purpose. He said your damnation is just. So they're accusing him of doing evil to do good. 
And he's saying, I don't believe that. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't balance out as he's spelling that out of these verses. And he's saying, why would God even judge us for doing wrong? You, you people aren't making any sense. And these people are slanderously reporting us. And other people are affirming them saying, yeah, that's what he's teaching. He says, that's not what I'm teaching. I'm trying to show you that by the law, you're not saved. You need Jesus Christ, and that even if you didn't have the law, you still need Jesus Christ because you're hopelessly sold under sin, and every one of you knows it naturally inside of you. Look at a couple verses real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In answer to this, this foolishness that God's the one that creates evil and you know, all that kind of stuff, it's just stupid, absolutely stupid. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when they're defining evil unbiblically, it's stupid. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. How about that? Do you know what that means? The temptations that you have, other people in this room have. It's common to man. Remember that when you start thinking you're something. Remember that when you've been saved a few years and God's given you some victory in your life and a new Christian comes along that's taken some time. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Do you see that? Do you see that? I keep messing up. It ain't God's fault. You're messing up because you want to mess up. God won't tempt you above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's God. He doesn't tempt man with sin. He can't be tempted with sin. Neither tempteth he any man. Go to the book of James, please. James chapter 1. That's great to know. God ain't, God ain't trying to get you to mess up. God's invested in seeing you do right. God wants to help you. You're messing up because you're a wicked little sinner and you want to keep sinning. <laughs> That's the long and short of it. James chapter 1. My brethren, call it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What? <laughs> I don't count it all joy. It's a drag. I hate struggling, don't you? He said, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Because it's your opportunity to show God you love Him. It's your opportunity to graduate spiritually and to, to get the next level. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I'd say that's one of the worst Bible verses in all the Bible. I, you know why I say that? I'm not saying that this verse has any problem with it. I didn't say that. I didn't disrespect the text in any way, shape, or form. I'm saying for me, that's one of the worst verses in all the Bible. I am not a patient person. And boy, have I ever had to learn to be patient. <laughs> if you're not patient, just, just try to head up a building project. <laughs> You'll get patient fast. <laughs> I, I, boy, it's a tough one for me. Look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask a God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall be received anything of the Lord. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted to God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You see where the temptation comes from? Back to Romans chapter 3. So with those verses in mind, God did not set up a spiritual system where your unrighteousness is dictated by God and He expects that out of this individual. And that unrighteousness and that lie abounds to God's glory. That's not the system God set up. Now here's the deal. According to the Bible, if you mess up and fess up, 
can God use that mess up for His glory? Isn't that a trip? That's not the same as purposely messing up and then claiming the glory of God. Do you guys see what's going on in the modern day church? It's the ultra grace movement that says, let's just go party, just, just drink. I mean, like I mentioned that preacher that was sneaking over, uh, and getting, uh, getting uh, go across town to get a beer and get drunk. You know what he said further down in the article? He said, I still drink an occasional beer, but not to take the edge off the stress just because I enjoy the taste. Oh, no wonder he's America's favorite pastor. That, that's, that's the mentality of the modern-day Christian. It's fornicate, drink, party, live like the devil, cuss all you want, watch what you want, do what you want, say what you want, don't worry about it. And whenever anybody points it out that God does expect holiness out of his people and God does want us to try to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then you throw grace in their face and then you throw love in their face and Paul is saying that's not what we're talking about. People just don't know their Bible. They aren't taught it. Some of the people are some of the people are innocent. The preachers, you can't convince me they're innocent. I'm sorry. That's their job. That's their job. They're supposed they know it. They know the passage to give themselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. They know it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that meaneth not to be a wet shame, rightly dividing the word of truth. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he sought out and set in order many proverbs. They, they know all that stuff. And then they say, well, Abraham's bosom isn't Abraham's bosom. It's a, this is a paradox. This is a, this is a parable. No, it ain't. The Bible he's reading said a rich man. God's book says a certain rich man. It ain't a parable. It's a true story. So I have a bit of a problem with it. All right, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? In the context, I think he's talking about the people that slander him and the people who say, let's do evil, that good may come, and, you know, live for today, and the ends justify the means and all the rest of that. He says, are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now, how about that? <laughs> you folks, you got to remember when we preach against sin here, that doesn't mean that we think we're better than other people. You know what Paul said to the Corinthian church? And I'll tell you this much, it's true about this church, and it always has been as long as I've been the pastor. He said, and such were some of you. Now, you all don't know that about each other, and you shouldn't. I can't stand it when people walk around, get up in a church service, and they, I just want to tell you, I'm just so thankful I'm saved because I used to be such a horrible drunk. I drunk enough alcohol to float a battle strap, and, and the little boys are sitting there like, oh, that's so cool, and he did that, and look, he's serving God now. I guess I can sow my wild oats, and I'll be okay later. Aggravates, you shouldn't be proud of the past. But can God use your failures for his glory? Yes, it. And does your unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God when he's been good to you in spite of yourself? Sure does. Can I say this? And please forgive me for those of, uh, those of the church that got saved late or whatever else. Just have a bunch of stuff you wish you could go back and undo and you can't. These young people need to hear this. You'd be a lot better off not to ever go there. Because don't you think following God and doing right and obeying God and submitting to God can also abound to the glory of God? Sure it can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here for tonight with this thought. I will pick it up here next week. I had a guy come to me one time and said, uh, um, I don't want to talk to my preacher. I said, okay. He had a particular thing he was dealing with in his life, and he said, well, he ain't going to understand. I said, okay. He said, he's never been through what I've been through. He don't get it. I want to talk to you. You know what I said to him? Go back to your preacher. I know his preacher. 
preacher believes the Bible. He's a good guy. Do you folks realize Lester Roloff was never a drunk? Lester Roloff was never out on the streets. He was never a prostitute. Who did God use that man to help? Drunks, drug addicts, single moms, prostitutes? By the what, hundreds? He had never been there. You do not have to sow your wild oats to give glory to God. You do not have to go live an unrighteous life to have an awesome testimony. God doesn't need your sin to qualify you for service. But if you have sinned and you give it to God, it doesn't disqualify you for service either. God's got the whole thing worked out. Listen, it's you that benefits by doing right. Why? Well, you won't carry the scars other people carry. You won't have the pain they have. But God can still use you. I'm not ashamed to tell you I was born again one month before my sixth birthday. Raised in church. I'm not one bit ashamed to tell you that. And it's amazing to me how many people God uses me to reach that have never been in church and they're adults. Never been in church. I, don't, I can't relate. I, I don't relate. The one guy just said to me that I've never been in church one day in my life. I don't trust preachers. That's why I never go. I just don't trust any of them nowadays. But I trust you. I'm going to come to your church. Amen. Sounds great. <laughs> you say, what was that? Why, that was just me. I just got goosebumps, man. Like, that was God. That's what that was. That had nothing to do with me. I'm not relating to him because we both grew up out of church and we're both thug punks. I'm like, I'm going to be his dad. And we got nothing in common. That was God. I'm just trying to tell you that God doesn't need you. You need God. Amen. And your unrighteousness commending the righteousness of God, sure it does. But you know what also commend the righteousness of God? You understanding that you're a sinner. You do not have to go out there and be a drunk and be a drug addict to recognize that we are all Jews and Gentiles. Self-righteous religious people, people that didn't grow up in church. We are all, both sides of the equation, sinners. Ain't it great to have a Savior? That's what our fellowship here is all about. All right, let's go ahead and stop there for tonight. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. We'll